0: Hi, this is Ben Lola Back to the Bible Canada. In our final message of week one in the series He Made Me Human, Dr. Newfeld will share a message on why the creation is good. Our text today is found in Genesis chapter one, verses twenty to twenty five. So let's begin as we learn about God's creation of our world on day five.
1: The Bible begins not with an accident but with a story of intelligent design. Imagine, if you will, what was required to make your automobile. Well, someone will say, I know what was required to make a car. First of all, you have to have designers and then engineers and then market people and finally the workers on the assembly line. And that is what made your car. But that isn't even half the story. Think of all the inventions that were required before it was even possible to build a car. I mean, the most obvious was the invention of the internal combustion engine. But before you could build such a thing, you had to have the ability to construct metals. You had to have a fuel to burn. And come to think about it, before you could build a car, human beings had to have the use of fire. That's a long series of inventions. But there are more. Think about the invention and use of electricity. Your car is full of electrical wiring. What was required to engineer your tires? I mean, before someone came up with rubber or the ability to give you steel-belted radials with aqua treads, someone a long time ago invented the wheel. What was required to build your brakes, your steering mechanism, your spark plugs, your seats, and your windows? The list goes on and on. The design of your car required intelligent design, an intelligence that was shared by hundreds, perhaps thousands, of inventors over a long period of time, a time which began at the beginning of the human story. You see, there are a number of ways to study your car. You could study it by taking it to your mechanic. He would check your spark plugs and your engine compression and your electronic systems, brake shocks, engine temperature, on and on. And he would give you a pretty good explanation of how your car works. That's one way of studying your car, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the only way to study your car. You could study it by attempting to understand the history and design of the human mind that brought the endless array of inventions, the intelligence required to bring such a thing into being. But you could also study the intent of cars. Why were they invented? And what advantages did human beings have in speeding up the rate of transportation, everything from military capabilities to trade and commerce? See, your car carries with it the name of a manufacturer, which itself is the story of entrepreneurs and the cultural development of nations. Your car has more stories than your mechanic has ever dreamed of. Now, the reason I say that is that there are many ways to study the world, and science is but one of the ways. And a scientist is like your car mechanic who tells you what a timing belt accomplishes in your vehicle and what a crankshaft is and does. And here's the tragedy. We actually live in a day in which a great many people think that once the scientists have told us all that we know about nature, that we have studied now the natural world. The Bible is not at odds with science. I know that some of us think that it is. Both Christians and non-Christians sometimes have this idea. Some non-Christians simply dismiss the Bible as an ancient primitive book. And some Christians are threatened every time they hear of another galaxy that was discovered millions of light years away and whether there's water on Mars. There are some Christians who will say the Bible makes mistakes regarding science and presents us with primitive man's view of science and others will say the Bible presents us with pure science. But in all of this, there is a fundamental misunderstanding. Genesis 1 and 2 is the story of both the intelligent design behind the creation and the purpose for the creation, something science simply can't do, nor does it have the tools to do this. Furthermore, when you ask whether science contradicts the Bible, it's important to ask, which science? The science of Aristotle? How about the science of the Middle Ages? the science of the 1500s at the time of Galileo, the science of the 16 and 1700s at the time of Isaac Newton when we thought of a mechanical universe. How about the science of the 1800s and Charles Darwin? How about the 1900s and Albert Einstein? How about the science of today, which includes quantum physics and, and DNA? But what will science look like 500 years from now? Which science? Science, by its very nature, is in flux as new theories arise to describe further the design and complexity we discover in nature. See, that's also the problem of Christians who try to frame the Bible in scientific terms. They're simply using the tools of today's science, tools that will one day be out of date. But science, although it provides us with fascinating insights about the nature of matter, cannot tell us anything about the reason for matter. Science tells you the nature and complexity of life, but it can't give you the reason for your life or the nature of the intelligence that designed your life. Science is the mechanic who examines your car, not the historian who sees the ancient history of design. Science can't even tell you where life came from, and that's where Genesis 1 comes in. Now, in our study of Genesis, we finished a discussion of the first four days of creation, a study that set the stage for the explosion of life that is to follow. Let's move on now to the study of Day 5, found in Genesis 1, 20-23. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Now we've noticed, as we have studied this chapter, that God prepared the world for the arrival of living things. First came light, and then an atmosphere capable of sustaining life. Then plants, which made it possible for animals to live, and then the moon and the sun become clearly visible, setting the stage for the rhythms of life. And now suddenly, at God's word, or as we have said, through God's sovereign decree, the waters swarm with living creatures and the heavens are filled with winged creatures. See, one of the exciting scientific discoveries that has interested Bible students since 1993 is what has been called the Cambrian Explosion. To put it quite simply, all life on planet Earth appeared suddenly within an exceedingly narrow window of geologic time. Some scientists have called this the biological Big Bang. As one scientist put it, we now know that all major innovations in the basic architecture of living forms occurred abruptly, not gradually. The geological table is not what we were taught in high school science class. That is, the primordial ooze crawling out of some ocean somewhere and gradually developing extremely slowly into more and more sophisticated life forms. Rather, life began as an explosion with highly sophisticated life forms suddenly exploding onto the scene quite rapidly, with fully developed soft tissue animals with eyes and intestines and stomach and digestive glands and sensory organs and mouths and nerves happening immediately at the very lowest point in the sedimentary layers. Furthermore, the sedimentary layers show absolutely no transitional life forms, or as scientists put it, We observe a morphological stasis or a lack of directional change. Life appears in its complete and sophisticated sense right at the beginning, the product not of slow random chance mutation, but design and intelligence from the outset. Let me say it again. The Bible does not describe the science behind creation, but what scientists are discovering. If you remove an atheistic bias from the work, is that fully developed animals, each, as verse 21 states, according to their kinds, suddenly springs onto the scene. Life simply explodes onto the stage by the decree of God. But again, we see God's preparatory design, the birds and sea creatures that fill their respective habitats, and God pronounces this as good. And as we've seen, it is good because it perfectly fulfills what God has in mind. But as this day progresses, we notice several new elements on this day that are unique. First, the text says that God blesses these animals. To bless, I think, in this context means to wish them well, that is, that their future is sure they will prosper. And then second, we notice that God makes a command over these creatures. Never before has God commanded nature with an imperative but it is done here. Be fruitful and multiply. God commands and they obey by nature. See, on the other hand, God has also commanded us and we need to seek him and plead with him that God might accomplish his purpose in our lives. There's so much to be said. Join us after the break as we begin to discuss a day unlike any other, the creation of animals and then finally the creation
0: of man. As we've been looking more closely at the biblical account of creation, it's amazing to think about the grandness or magnitude of it all. Even with all the science that we have access to today, it's not enough to fully comprehend the scope or complexity of what we see out there, the trees, the animals, the galaxy, and so much more. Only when we see the God who is behind it from the beginning will we appreciate how wonderful creation is. After this short break, Dr. Neufeld will show us the exciting events that occur on Day 6 and how creation points to a universal reality for us today. Back to the Bible Canada ministers God's Word that we might become a people for His glory. Our teaching reaches individuals and congregations of faith. But homes of faith need God's truth as well. Households are the first places we learn to read scripture, say our prayers and share the works of God. To help your family's spiritual growth, Laugh Again with Phil Calloway is releasing an exciting new resource titled Four Minutes for Frazzled Families. It's a 31-day devotional guide for parents or grandparents to help their families grow in their walk with the Lord. Back to the Bible Canada believes these precious times of sharing together spiritually are crucial. So we invite you to request your copy of Four Minutes for Frazzled Families as our free gift to you and your family by visiting backtothebible.ca or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.
1: The most dramatic day, in the six days of creation, is reserved for the last of them, day six. So much occurs on that day. First the creation of land animals, and then the creation of man. All of chapter two will then retell the story of creation again, looking at it from another perspective and placing all the emphasis on day six. This is the day when God declares what he has been up to. After all, why would God create at all? According to Isaiah 43, verse 7, God created man for his glory. There's something about the creation of man that highlights how great God actually is. God decided to go public to express in a physical world how great and grand he actually is. But why would God express his glory in this way? Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's examine the first part of the sixth day and then pause for a moment and consider what we've learned. Reading Genesis one twenty four to 25. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. You know, there are mentioned here three orders of animals. Domestic animals, then animals that creep on the ground, and probably referring to smaller animals, either with or without feet, and then beasts of the earth, referring to the larger animals. Again, we notice that it was never the intention of this passage to give us scientific categories for animals, only the most basic description of all that fills the earth. Sometimes Bible teachers have wanted to argue that these three categories represent different orders of time in creation, but the text doesn't call for that conclusion. It only wants the reader to reflect on the variety of kinds that exist and remember that this also is the creation of God. And now for the first time, we notice that the phrase, it was good, occurs not at the end of the day, but at some time during this sixth day. That would indicate that there's a pause on day six in which, as it were, the creation holds its breath for the grand thing that will occur on that day. And so let's follow the text and stop and take note what we've learned so far. Let's see if we can put this into four main points. First, let's notice how effortless creation is. Each day begins with God speaking. Six times the Bible says, And God said, let there be, and there was. This was effortless stuff. God did not even break out into a sweat. He simply spoke, and it was done. That's the nature of God's speech. He's not like an unethical politician who makes a promise that can't be fulfilled. His word is powerful. His word is creative. His word is simply spoken, and all of creation falls into line. And by the way, that's how we know that Jesus is God. When he was crossing the Sea of Galilee, he simply spoke. And all nature obeyed his voice. Now, second, we learned that all creation has a purpose. And that's what happened here. Purposelessness was rolled back in six successive days. God called this world to be what it is. He named it. He gave the light a name. He gave the sky a name. And by naming it, he proclaimed his mastery over it. You know, in the ancient world, whenever you named something, you ruled over it. When King Nebuchadnezzar changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, he proclaimed his rulership over him. That's what God is doing when he names things. All creation exists for him to do his bidding. Third, the created order satisfies God's purpose completely. At the end of each day, God gives a ringing endorsement of his work. We notice that he doesn't say, that's good enough. The great Creator made this world to exactly suit His purpose, and it's not good enough, it's good. God doesn't make things second-rate. And therefore, we can conclude that when God deals in our world, or for that matter, in our individual lives, it is always good, never just good enough. Isaiah 25 verse 1 says, O Lord, You are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. Fourth, there is a form and a structure in the actual creation. More than one Bible teacher has noticed a kind of parallelism in the six days. Days one to three tells us something, and then days four to six add something to the first three days. So on day one, God created light, but on day four, he creates the sun, moon, and the stars to fill out and make plain the light. On day two, God created an atmosphere, but on day five, he fills it with birds. On day three, he creates dry ground, and on day six, he fills it with animals and ultimately with people. So in fact, the six days of creation are divided into two parts. On the first three days, God formed the earth, and in the last three days, God filled the earth. And it is this earth, both formed in wisdom and filled with splendor, that captures our attention. It must have been a beautiful creation. Here's an example. You know, when the first explorers came down the St. Lawrence Seaway, it was so filled with fish that they could lower baskets into the water and draw out fish with a basket. In contrast, today, the saint lawrence has become a barren waterway. Think of our earth that way, teeming with life, with stunning beauty and with purpose, but now with sin. Even though the earth still has an amazing beauty, what we have today is but a faint reflection of the original splendor in which it was made. So what do we learn about this good creation and why it was so very good? Let me share four things we learn about the creation. First, We were intended to learn about who God is. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Creation actually testifies to the work of the Creator. Second, we are intended to learn about who we are. We are a creature. We are dependent. We are not gods. There is a God, and we are not him. If it were not for the kindness and the wise providence of God in putting the creation together as he did, we would not exist. And God said to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? See, we owe our creator an unending debt of gratitude for our lives. We must never begin life by complaining, but by bowing our knees and worshiping. And third, we were intended to learn what nature is for. After the creation of man, God doesn't just say that it is good, but that it is very good. The earth serves its purpose when it serves our purpose. See, I know this is radical. So many environmentalists have rejected this. I recently read an article on global warming in which it said, the earth does not need us, we are her guests. If we prove to be bad guests, she will throw us out. Let me rephrase that in biblical terms. This world exists for our benefit. It was called into service by God to provide for us a stage upon which we would come to know him. I want you to imagine a world that had no chaos, in which every single detail of this world and of life was perfectly constructed so that you could get to know God. Nothing was lucky or unlucky. There were no coincidences. Everything in this world worked together to bring glory to the Creator and to serve our long-term eternal purposes if we would only submit to them. But of course, the fall does not destroy God's purpose in the creation. The world is not the story of how we wrecked what God made and now God has quickly put together a plan B to get everything back on track. 1 Peter 1.20, speaking of Jesus and His eternal plan of redemption says, He was foreknown before the foundations of the earth. The earth that God created was from the beginning to be the showcase of God's glory, fully realized in His mercy expressed on a bloody cross. It is what God had intended from the beginning. But of course, we don't learn that in Genesis 1. We learn that from the rest of the scripture. But we do know this that when God created and designed this world, it was good as he himself is good.
0: Thanks, John. We've only got a moment, but you can touch on again the Cambrian explosion.
1: Well, yes, and it it has to do with the fact that that life comes onto this planet, um, not gradually, but suddenly, and that is now the scientific consensus. By the way, I would say that uh, to our listening audience, if I could recommend a book, I would just, you know, I rarely do that, but I'll, let me do it today. It's called Darwin's Doubt. Darwin's Doubt, it's written by Stephen Meyer. And uh, it's an excellent book that talks about that, that the idea that not only did life come suddenly, but it also is that the various forms of life are independent of other forms of life so we don't have a common ancestor at all we rather have a common
0: creator well we've certainly covered a lot of ground today in our study of the creation of the fish birds and animals of the earth we've learned that the bible does not contradict science but that the more we study science there is abundant evidence that points to the truth about intelligent design and of course we're coming to an understanding and perhaps rediscovery of god's big purpose for his creation This has been a great series on Genesis so far, and we hope it's been enlightening for you as well. Be sure to listen on Monday as we continue this series, He Made Me Human, with Dr. John Neufeld. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Every home depends on God's supply. Back to the Bible Canada relies upon his supply through the faithfulness of our listeners. Thank you for your gifts that allow us to make new resources to help support you in your walk with Christ, as well as sustain our Bible teaching programs. Your support makes this ministry possible. Your generosity allows us to proclaim God's truth. Our families need it. If you wish to support us in a form of a donation, please visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. Or you may consider joining our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and have your contribution to this ministry occur on a monthly basis. To find out more about the 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and the exclusive benefits you unlock by joining, visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.